Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. everybody. Our thanks first go out to Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. Please check him out on the internet. He is a native storyteller and he has some amazing stories to tell that talk about history and cosmology that provide information and wisdom that goes way beyond what books could possibly do. It's an adventure and I'm sure you'd enjoy it. Tonight I have one of my favorite authors on and we have Mark Carlotto with us tonight, and we're going to be talking about his new book. Um, I don't think the next one is quite published yet, but it, it's called Beyond Atlantis. And in before Atlantis, he considers the idea that Atlantis was as much a time as it was a place, presenting evidence that the world's most enigmatic archaeological sites could be much older than we think. The journey continues in Beyond Atlantis, where he explores the visages of the world's lost civilizations, something that has fascinated me for years and years. Continuing research into the origin of the world's oldest religions has found a growing number of ancient states, states, sites sorry, uh, oriented to unknown directions. However, by changing the frame of reference, changing the location of the North Pole, the orientations of these sites are easily explained. Charles Hapgood's theory of Earth-crustural displacements and pole shifts is considered fringe science or worse, pseudoscience by the academic community. But if Hapgood is wrong, why does this theory explain the alignment of hundreds of sites across the world that have no other explanation? Beyond Atlantis presents the extraordinary evidence that science demands to support the extraordinary claim that our civilization is not the first, but only the latest chapter in a vast human experience stretching back hundreds of thousands of years. 
Mark is an aerospace engineer with over 30 years of experience in satellite imaging, remote sensing, signal and image processing, pattern recognition, and app development. He received a Ph.D. in electrical engineering from Carnegie Mellon University in 81 and has published over 100 technical articles and written six books. And before Atlantis, he draws from his unique from his unique background and experience uh, to propose a new, new answers to basic questions in concerning human origins, ancient technology, and archaeological enigmas. And in, in Beyond Atlantis, he just absolutely cracks it all wide open. It is probably one of the most exciting books I've ever read. The illustrations in it are phenomenal. And I, I promise you, you won't be able to put it down once you get into what his theory expands upon and how it explains so much in so many of the ancient sites. So, welcome to the show, Mark. Hi, Barbara. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing very well. I'm so glad that, that we're doing this show because I have long, I have long held to the, the thought that a lot of the ancient um, sites, while they're ancient, they're a lot more ancient than people give them credit for. And it, it explains why, your theory explains why so much has been sort of shoveled under the carpet because it couldn't be explained. And, you know, I just, I'm not quite sure where to start, maybe with the pole shifts and explaining what they are and how they change the orientation of everything. Sure. Uh, okay. Yeah. There's there's, um, there's a lot lot of different diff, a lot of different threads and um, yeah, yeah. You mentioned there's a lot of ideas. Um, and I think that's that's a really good place to start. Um, back in uh, in the 50s, uh, a scientist by the name of Charles Hapgood proposed the idea that. Uh, climate change, in particular ice ages, um, could be explained by shifts of the, of the North Pole. And his reasoning was that if you look at um, not just the timing of, of, of ice ages, when they occurred, but sort of where the ice was, it, it, it followed a pattern. And that pattern was better explained by, by changing the polar zone. So you can imagine, like, you know, the, uh, you know, the Arctic is the Arctic now because that's where the North Pole is. But um, he explained the North American Ice Age 20,000 years ago by uh, assuming that instead of the pole being in the Arctic, it was in Hudson Bay. Hudson Bay is uh, is in northern Canada. And if the pole were there, um, Canada would be in the polar zone. In fact, uh, much of the the, uh, northern United States would be in the polar zone as well, and you know that, and that was a, you know a, a, an alternative explanation for why we had this you know mile thick ice sheet. Uh, you know, I live in Massachusetts now. It's hard to, to imagine twenty thousand years ago I was under a mile of ice. Um, but wow. if, if the if, if the latitude of Massachusetts wasn't you know roughly forty degrees north, but it was it was higher, um, you know like, you know, 70 degrees north or 75 degrees north, then um, that puts you in the, you know, above the Arctic Circle, 
which is called the Arctic Circle today, but it, you know, its reference point was different. So this was a theory that was proposed at a time when um, the, the whole idea of plate tectonics, you know, um, continental drift, the idea that the you know, continents have been moving apart and, and that the uh, Earth's crust is not solid, but consists of all these plates that move somewhat, <clears throat> somewhat independently. And it was at that time the theory became very well, popular because the scientific data was able, after many years, to finally confirm it. Um, and so Hapgood's ideas came at a time when the timing wasn't great, and, and they, were, they, they tended to be marginalized and forgotten. And over time it's been considered, you know, like you said in the introduction, um, you know, uh, fringe science at best and pseudoscience at worst. And, you know, I have, a, I have a reputation, so, you know, I'm still working, so, you know, I don't want to get behind any crank theory. But the thing about um, Hackett's theory is that I, I, I just kept go, going back to it because it, ex, it seemed to be explaining things um, that couldn't be explained. Now, besides climate change, because uh, you know, I'm not a climate scientist, um, although I, I play one on TV from time to time. Uh, <laughs> but my background's in remote. It's in it's in remote sensing, and um, and you know I I work with you know Google Earth and aerial and satellite images, and uh, and mapping technology, and so forth. And uh, you know I noticed uh, about five years ago, getting ready for a trip to uh, to Mexico, that a lot of the sites I was planning to visit. Uh, were not aligned to, you know, north, south, east, and west, or pointing towards solstices, you know, uh, like, you know, places like Stonehenge, and, you know, sites like sacred sites, many are aligned to solstices or to the moon, um, or, you know, just north, south, east, west, like the pyramids are, very, you know, very accurately aligned. But none of the sites I was looking at in Mexico were aligned in that way. It's like, why, why is that? And I, had remem you know, I remembered reference to Hapgood's theory by a uh, Canadian author by, by the name of Brand Flemath in his book, um, The Atlantis Blueprint. And um, he was talking about, he pr actually proposed his own theory of Atlantis that it was, um, uh, that Atlantis or, or Antarctica was Atlantis, uh, that a pole shift brought the continent of of Antarctica, which had been at a higher uh, or a lower latitude, more in a tropical zone, had shifted it to the South Pole. Um, and in the course of his argument, he talks about sites being, you know, lined up in ways that uh, were, would have been different. And his, he was keen more on the idea, and this is popular in, uh, in a lot of alternative circles, the idea that a lot of these sacred sites are located close to the equator. Um, and uh, I, was, I wasn't as um, uh, I, I wasn't thinking about it so much in those terms, but more in terms of how things are aligned. Because you know, as as, as uh, human beings, as architects, you know, we we have this tradition of, of of doing things in a purposeful way, symbolic way, oftentimes, but generally purposeful. And um, you know, we we align things uh, in geographical or astronomical directions now, why didn't we always do that? So when I applied that idea to these sites in Mexico, I couldn't explain, 
all of a sudden by changing the point of reference, putting the North Pole, for example, in Hudson Bay, uh, sites like Teotihuacan or Xochicalco um, uh, would now uh, point north. And other sites um, that uh, in, uh, are in other parts of Mexico would point uh, north relative to even earlier poles that Hapgood had um, had proposed in his in his uh, book in the 1950s. So that kind of got the ball rolling. <clears throat> yeah, and you know it 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 also explains a lot. Um, I've often <clears throat> I've often wondered why why they have always said that all of this stuff that, that we see all of these sacred sites that are around the world today were created before the last ice age. And that just didn't make sense to me. And utilizing this theory, you're able to date some of these sites back almost 200,000 years, which which makes a great deal of sense to me. So it, it, it well, yeah. Go ahead. And it, it, yeah, and Barbara, and I think it makes sense to a lot of people that are trying to close the gap between you know ancient ancient traditions and religious traditions and, and uh, modern history or archaeology, for that matter. Because, you know, like archaeology, it used to go back, you know, to like 4000 B.C. when, you know, the, the theories back in the 60s uh, were that uh, human civilizations began in, uh, or, you know, in, at Sumer in Mesopotamia. But then, you yeah. know, more recently, uh, discoveries that uh, – Gobekli Tepe and other places in Turkey revealing that, hey, there was a pretty advanced civilization in place 10,000 B.C., 6,000 years before that. Um, So we keep kind of rolling it back. And it's interesting that, you know, archaeologists tend to date sites within sort of that, um, you know, I like to use the term of sandbox. And here in archaeology, the sandbox is really time. It's like it's like how far you're allowed to go, how far you're allowed to go back, and um, you know, going back now 10,000 years, or 10,000 BC, so 12,000 years, um, like uh, Hancock does in, um, in you know, and others working with Hancock over the years, like Robert Bobal and John Anthony West and uh, and others. Um, Hancock, you know, now in his uh, recently released um, uh, ancient Apocalypse, that Netflix series that got a lot of you know a lot of negative uh, feedback from the uh, scientific community, um, but you know it was a very very good popular I think overview of the series. And you know the theory is that if you go back to that period, you go back ten twelve thousand years ago, that puts you in around the time of the Younger Dryas, which was yeah. a period where the climate, which, which had been warming from the Ice Age, suddenly cools down again. And, uh, you know, the, the popular theory is that it was a series of impacts, meteor, you know, cometary impacts, and perhaps even some, you know, volcanic eruptions, lots of earth changes causing, um, causing uh, extinctions. And um, so already now this, this – it, sort of following the, sort of the natural uh, evolution of scientific ideas, we're already starting to go back now, you know, 10, 12,000 years. So I'm kind of pushing it um, 
I, I kind of view what I'm proposing is is more like alternative alternatives. If if Hancock <laughs> is alternative, and he's already getting a lot of you know a lot of negative uh, press from the mainstream community, I'm only going to get it's you know this my you know the ideas and beyond and before Atlantis are you know those those time frames are you know ten times further back or more. So I think. Um, I think scientists will ignore any of these ideas as long as they can possibly get away with it because it's just, like I said, it's just so far outside of their, of their sandbox, um, the time frames that they're willing to uh, allow for. But you've, you've showed how we, on a lot of these ancient sites how <clears throat> obviously a sacred site was built on top of a sacred site was built on top of a sacred site was built on top of a sacred site and you can you can see the different techniques of stonework, well, mostly stonework because very little else is going to last that long. But but yeah. how the difference in the construction differed over the over the thousands of years, and to me that makes sense. To me, it says, you know, what's what's going to happen if there's a pole shift and suddenly. Um, more of the United States is covered by a mile of ice. What's going to survive? Mount Rushmore is going to survive, and that's about it. But so, so it's sort of like there's there's nothing that is going to speak to our generation or our culture if if another ice age hits us suddenly. But I, I don't think it'll hit suddenly. These these pole shifts take thousands of years to actually shift, don't they? I, I I think so. Uh, I, I think it's a it's a it's a gradual process, and uh, and we can actually talk about um, how that how it may possibly work. But you know, I want to. You, you made a really good point. You know, the fact that you know what's going to survive is stone, um, and in our society is you know you look at you look around and you know the, the buildings from the industrial age. I mean, they were still using granite. Um, and, uh, you know, materials that would last. But, you know, look around, and all these buildings are, you know, they go up in, in, in like a, you know, seems like days. And they're very flimsy construction. And, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of our technological society will survive um, a, a, a cataclysm. Uh, it's certainly nothing, nothing is really built to last uh, that, 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 you know, modern humans uh, since, you know, since the time of the Egyptians or the um, or the ancient people in South America, uh, have nothing that we've built really would stand stand the test of time, um, because just just the way it's built and, and, and the materials that that are used. So, um, but you know, what might survive? It might it might be might be the foundations, and um, you know, I think I think the best example. For this is, uh, you know, most familiar example probably are places like New York City or, um, you know, where New York City was built over, you know, earlier structures. Um, and uh, Rome has thousands of years of, of, of what's called adaptive reuse, where the Romans built over earlier, uh, earlier structures, temples and and other buildings, you know, using the roofs of what was there as, as the foundations for what they then constructed over that. And, uh, you know, it's, so it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a process that 
and, and the book goes into many examples, um, many places in the world where you find this. So it's not just here and there, but it's, it's really everywhere. And, uh, and so all I'm really proposing is that this practice is not hundreds or thousands of years old, but it's perhaps tens or maybe 100,000 years old because it's sort of built into our, into our DNA, um, you know, the way we do things uh, as humans. Um, and, um, and so by virtue of, of this practice, uh, we, we may, in fact, have evidence of these earlier uh, civilizations because of the way we, we have sort of, we have, you know, done things, we have done business over, over the years. Even though the original structures were gone, Maybe, or they could be. They could be really deep. Um, the the thing, the sort of the geometrical fingerprint still exists, and based on that, based on the directions that are aligned, and you know which poles they point to, um, is is how we are able to date them. And, and that that that's that's another discussion on how we we can actually date them based on the poles. There's actually a, some pretty good science behind that. Well, you spoke in the book of, I think it was in a church that was built on top of another church, and they, they kept going down, and they kept finding earlier um, earlier structures back five, six times, I think. Um, was it a cathedral? In, it's a cathedral, I think. Yeah, in, um, in, 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 uh, in Rome, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to... I've got the book here. I'll go. Now, I'm not going to be able to find it because, of course, I'm looking for it. Uh, but um, yeah. <laughs> but you, and, and, you, and you that, give a you know, picture and, of the foundation. You know, you give a picture of the foundation of each level, and I, I think what was fun was they haven't stopped digging. That, that's right. They have. They haven't hit bottom yet. And um, and and you know, this is actually. Um, you find, you know, like there's 20 chapters in the book, and I, and I, what, what I've attempted to do to do in Beyond Atlantis is um, sort of uh, bring to a conclusion what I started uh, in Before Atlantis was, you know, I identified a bunch of sites, and they were they were all all over the world, um, but they were kind of uh, we didn't really have any context for them necessarily, and so what I do in Beyond Atlantis is I go to different regions. Um, and I explore kind of the earliest uh, research and the earliest information we have on, on um, or the information on the earliest civilizations in those, in those uh, parts of the world. And, um, and, and, and based on that, I try to sort of develop a, uh, you know, like a historical context. And you actually find that, um, you know, this is, this, this practice, it, it, is, is everywhere, and um, and so it's not it's not just here or there, but it's it's a it's a pattern, and um, you know be, you know before leaving the whole idea of stone, um, over the last couple of years I became aware of um, work by this archaeologist in um, in Peru. His name is uh, Alfredo Gamara, and he um, he identified. Uh, three basic structures of stonework in Peru in the Sacred Valley. Um, there's, you know, the Inca stonework, which is, you know, field stones that are sort of 
somewhat crudely put together. Uh, amazing construction, but, you know, consistent with, with the time period, you know, last you know, a couple thousand years, whatever. Um, and then an earlier period of these megalithic stones, these, you know, multi, multi-ton stones that are perfectly cut and, and fitted and, um, uh, and you actually find them all over the world. Um, but what's interesting is that the oldest is not that, but the oldest are these structures that are cut out of the living rock, um, almost as if the rock were, were molten, um, that you could that sort of like being like, like the rock was like soft butter and it was being carved. Um, there, there are steps and there are, are structures and just weird, unexplained shapes. And what he shows is that the, uh, the megalithic uh, form of construction is often built on top of this even earlier sort of uh, primeval, if you will, um, style of construction. And then the Inca built on top of that. And again, it's, they're preser- they preserve the, um, the geometry, but they do so with, with you know, different, different, you know, I don't want to say different media, it's all rock, but different styles of construction. And uh, that's probably the best example because it's all above, a lot of it's above ground. But, you know, like you said, Barbara, in, um, you, you find it in Rome, you find, uh, you know, the Parthenon is built over an earlier Parthenon, the Temple of Baalbek um, uh, in Lebanon is built over uh, uh, just like seven, or I'm sorry, nine different foundations. And the Roman temple of Jupiter is like one of the last uh, layers built over previous layers that go back. No one really knows. Um, so it's, 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 it's widespread. It's maybe even, you know, uh, maybe this is just the way we do it. And uh, so <laughs> using this as, well, using this as, as, as a fingerprint, um, that's, that's, that's kind of how, um, that's, that's how the detective work is going. Well, going back to Peru, uh, well, South America, was South America ever under an ice cap? No, it's, it's uh, close enough to the um, equator that was never in the polar zone. It's not to say it, um, it wouldn't have been, um, I mean, there, there, uh, there are glaciers, uh, you know, again, depending on your altitude, um, and you could have glaciers uh, in, in, uh, on the equator if, if you're high enough up, right? Um, yeah. Um, but it's... Um, well, I, where, I'm, where, I'm going north, is, yeah. where I'm going is a lot of their pyramids are built over previous pyramids so that they've found that as they started to excavate into them, they would find another building and another building and another building, which would speak to this same theory, only above ground. Right. And, and um, yes, and, and you, it, you know, I, I started – sort of my, my quest in Mexico, and it's the same thing in Mexico. You have pyramids built over previous pyramids. It's sort of like, like uh, Russian uh, nesting dolls. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and, uh, and again, you're, you're generally keeping the, uh, the, same, the same footprint. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, so it's sort of a general principle. And, you know, what I try to do in my work is it's, it's like rather than coming up with, with – 
you know, one explanation for this side and another explanation for this side. Like with, with, a, with a theory, you try to come up with uh, an idea that is powerful that can explain a lot of data. And um, so, so the pole shift idea says, okay, you've got all these different alignments. Uh, how can you possibly make sense of them? Well, if you change the point of reference, and it's, uh, it's a little hard to visualize because moving the pole doesn't move the alignment of every structure um, in the same way. It depends on, excuse me, it depends on where they're located. It depends on their, on their latitude and longitude. So um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a little hard to visualize. Uh, fortunately, we have Google Earth, and I did... Um, I spent I spent hundreds of hours. I was like a crazy person when I first uh, came upon this idea. It's like I was using uh, it's called the ruler tool, and I like go to you know site and go to like uh, you know like the northern face of a pyramid and and draw a line and bring it up to a to to one of these poles to see if it if it lined up. And you know after a while I got I got tired of doing that, um, and I wrote. Uh, some software, some algorithms to actually do it automatically. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, in, in the process of doing that, uh, you see how this basic idea of changing the point of reference can just explain a lot of things uh, in a real simple way. And so that's, that's so as soon as, generally when things start getting mucked up, I, I kind of lose interest in the idea. If, it's, if, it's, if it takes too many, like, things to sort of fix it up or sort of, you know, we call them, and we call them kludges, you know, kind of, you kind of kludge it to make it work. It, it's like, it's like, mm, it doesn't, doesn't feel like that's the right direction. But when you, and, and what I've done in, from beyond Atlanta, from before to beyond is I've gone from a couple hundred sites to now over about 500 sites and same location, same pole locations, I uh, derived in before Atlantis, I'm using now. So I haven't changed any of the ground rules, same locations. And I'm, I continue to find more and more and more sites that are lined up all over the world, everywhere, uh, in every part of the world, from you know, northern Africa to uh, South America. Well, I think what it, what it does is <clears throat> what I would like to see are overlays of, okay, these structures were, were – from this pole and then and then go to the ones that were and then an overlay the ones that were from um the Hudson Bay one and then overlay the uh Bering Straits is that the next one the, uh, the, yeah so the the chronology maybe let me just go through the chronology cuz we have we kind of talked yeah. around it a little bit so, so the so the current pole is the arctic uh the the hypothesis is that 20,000 years ago, the pole uh, shifted from a, its previous location to the Arctic. So before the Arctic, it was in Hudson Bay. And when it was there, that was the time of the North American Ice Age. Before that, it was um, about 45,000 years ago, it was uh, in the Norwegian Sea, um, so north of Scandinavia. Uh, before that, uh, about 75,000 years ago, it was in northern Greenland. And before that, 130,000 years ago, it was in the Bering Sea, north of the Aleutian Islands. Um, so the pole gets around; it moves around, you know, quite a bit. Uh, you, you know, these are significant 
amounts of pole shifts. And, um, you know, we can talk about, you know, how we know this and how we think we know it and what the timing is. Um, but, uh, yeah, so when you, when you make, yeah, so when you make these changes, the, mer- the meridians, the north directions change. It's kind of, it's hard yeah. to visualize some of the stuff in the book because, you know, it's not like can't animate. Right. You need, you need to have a 3D graph there. But, but what, what I found fascinating was that, you know, you have, you, you visited 500 sites. But but not all 500. See what see what what archaeologists have been telling us is that over the last um, 12,000 years, all of these were built and became ancient, and that's not the yeah. case. And and I think that if people got an idea, got the idea that some of them go back maybe 200,000 years, and so you know it isn't that 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 they were not as well built as others. It's just that they've been here longer, and they're losing it. Um, so if you if you actually had overlays, acetate overlays that could show you, you know, when these these structures, you know, if you look at today, we've got all of these antiquities, but everybody seems to think they all are about the same age, and there are hundreds, tens of thousands of years between a lot of them. So um, I think that that's a misconception that's been taught in school and it should be stopped. It, it, it is because it's, I, you know, I don't think it's, 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 it's done. I don't think it's uh, done uh, consciously. I think it's, it's like, again, if, if your sandbox says you only go back 10,000 years, then you're going to fit everything. You're going to, you're going to fit all your explanations into that framework, right? But if archaeologists had carte blanche and they could say, hey, anything is possible, where would you go with that? And see, because I'm not an archaeologist and I don't attempt to play one on TV, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I could, I, I'm, an, I'm an engineer, and engineers are, you know, we're, it's kind of a combination of, of problem solving and, well, and, 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 well, it's really problem solving, but problem solving involves both, both analysis and synthesis. So, you know, you, you analyze stuff and then you got to kind of come up with some new ideas. And, you know, I mean, that's generally, generally true in science. But in science, there, you know, there, there are ground rules. And, you know, engineers have more freedom because basically in engineering, if something works, it's like, hey. And the crazier it is, so much the better because, you know, you look at, look at tech these days, right? The, you know, the craziest things, uh, can, you know, end up being the most popular and, you know, in many ways you know, much more sought after than things that are mundane. You know, you, they go after stuff that's sexy and cool. Um, yeah. Not that I'm – you know that wasn't the intent here, but my only point is that you don't you're not limited uh, to the same in the same way, and so I think that's. So I'm not saying I'm not finding fault or anything. I just, I just think that's that's sort of the situation. That's kind of the ground rules, and so I think you know I I have the freedom because this is not what I do for a living. You know I'm I'm an aerospace engineer, so I can I can play in other sandboxes, um, and. Um, <laughs> And I, and, I, and I can make these, you know, suggestions and ideas, and I can take it to a point where with math and, and analysis, 
borrowing concepts from my, my native field of study and applied and, you know, take it to sort of the point where it's, it's feasible. And that, that's, really, that's really all I'm trying to do. You know, I'm not, I don't have a pet theory of climate change or, or, you know, I'm not a geologist. I'm not trying to come up with any new theories. I'm just trying to explain data that puzzles me. And, um, you know, you try to get the ball rolling and, and, and hopefully other people and some have become interested. Um, and, um, in fact, uh, you know, we're talking about the ages of polls. Um, soon after I published before Atlantis, I had really only half good estimates of, of ages. And um, a, uh, an environmentalist has uh, become a good colleague of mine and friend, Mark Gaffney, uh, was in the process of writing a book on really the same idea. And I think we talked to I, I don't know, have you, you're, you're going to have, I think you're, we were talking about you're having Mark on. I don't know if he was going to come on before or after this show. but Yeah, he's, um, he's coming on the 29th of March. Oh, fantastic! Okay, I'm not going to steal his thunder because he's he can he's going to hopefully he'll talk he'll lead you through the whole process. But uh, Mark um, provided you know the scientific basis for dating the poles using climate data using you know so he was he'd researched all these science papers and found the science out there, and it wasn't they didn't really apply it to this problem. He just sort of the data were there, the papers were there, the results. And he, so he kind of applied it uh, to a different question, and and his his what he what he was able to find was pretty solid data uh, establishing not only the locations of these poles but also the dating. So anyway, which, well, which is I, really important. This, <clears throat> what you've done is sort of given me a foundation for some of my philosophies that go back to the fact that there were cultures prior to the driest days and that there were civilizations that, that rose to a, to a high degree of sophistication that, that in many ways maybe even surpassed us because we can't repeat what they've done. So it speaks to the fact that they were technologically far advanced from us as far as stonework goes for sure. But it, 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 it it gives me the the understanding and and the conviction that that there have been probably many cultures between times of mass destruction. For sure, there have been five major mass destruction um, events that, that scientists are, are admitting to, and prior to each of them being wiped out the technology of the time had to have ex have, have um, developed to a very serious state. I mean, it, it feels like, like technologically speaking, the human species as it sits now is technologically far advanced from what the government is letting us know. That's just my opinion. That's just me thinking and talking. But with the human brain at work, I'm sure it's capable of a lot more than we are seeing evidence of within our reality. So when the next mass extinction happens, and, and it will, I mean, it's, it's happened before, it'll happen again. I don't know when, but it will happen again. And I'm wondering, you know, what we leave behind 
in a hundred thousand years, what are people going to look at and draw a conclusion about our society and our culture from? Because um, a lot of, for instance, some of the cave paintings um, in France go back thirteen thousand years. Um, right. We we have seen we have seen, um, the, and they have UFOs on them. So UFOs have definitely been around a very long time, but. You know, it's sort of like I, I, people. It, it, how arrogant of us to think that we are as high as 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 humanity can rise, because I because our because our species built the pyramids, and we we still can't do that today. So yeah. you know, how old? I mean, how old would that make this, the pyramids? I know the the Bosnian mountains, um, the pyramids there are estimated to be 40,000 years old. So uh, we, we have extreme time that we're looking at. And, you know, possibly even here in in the United States, um, you know, the, the structures. I wanted to ask you about uh, when we were talking the other day about the different cultures in the United States that that did escape the, the, uh, the ice cap. And so... You know, where did their technology come from? And I keep going to the Anastasi. Where did they go? I mean, it's, it's you know, there's no, there's, no, um, there's no record of them, and yet all of their structures are, are still there, mostly circles, though, so I don't know how you know what they're oriented towards. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there's, I wish I'd written, uh, you said about a half a dozen things I wanted to, to comment on. You know, first and foremost, I think, is this idea that we, we have, at least some of us, maybe we all in, in our, in, in our uh, if we were to be truly honest, we'd all feel this way, but many of us uh, articulate, it, you know, we'll, we'll say, what we feel, uh, what we believe. And it's this, this intuition that we, we've been around a lot longer than this, that there's been other, there's been previous chapters. Um, and, you know, there's, that, that's what the, that's what ancient re- religious traditions, spiritual traditions talk about, particularly in the East. Um, you know, yuga's going back, not just thousands, but millions of years, you know, whether, yeah. well, that, whether that's encompassing uh, other, other planets as well who knows but the problem is that we we have this instinct this intuition um this belief and yet we we haven't been able to find any any evidence you know it's like the trail of breadcrumbs kind of like sort of like dies off uh you're following you know the ancient uh myths and um you're doing comparative uh studies of iconography and stonework and, you know, people have done this, right? And it's, it doesn't seem like it reaches the level sufficient to uh, convince the mainstream scientific community. I mean, maybe it's really there, but maybe they're just sort of their fingers on the scale and they're just, uh, they're just biasing the whole thing. It's like, you'll never convince them, which is, you know, again, because, because they're, they're operating in the box for, whatever reason, and that's a whole other conversation. But, I mean, 
it's it's this we we certainly have this instinct this uh, keep saying instinct but intuition and we're you know where does that come from um, and when and I think Hancock talks about this um, in America before where um, you know you sort of do you know do the thought experiment if, if there was a cataclysm and everything you know no more cell phones no more supply chain. No, nothing. So we have to become, we, we, you become hunter-gatherers. What happens to our science, our technology, our art, our, um, our literature, um, our records? Um, how long does it take for that information to become lost or diluted or, um, or passed down no longer in formal terms but as stories and traditions and so forth? Um, and so, you know, that, that's a very plausible reason why there isn't much evidence. Um, but the stonework, we keep coming back to that. And as, you know, as a physical scientist and an engineer, I, I, I like to hang my hat on something that's, that's tangible, like, like, like a stone foundation. And if, and if there is something about that that can't be explained, um, in conventional terms, then I think that is an opportunity that opens the door to another, you know, to considering other ways of looking at things, other possibilities, previous ages. And, you know, these pole shifts uh, could be viewed as, as sort of the turning points of one world age to the next. The, um, you know, the, uh, the Aztecs had the legend of the five suns where we're in the fifth sun now and suns are like creations, and, but there were four before. Um, coincidentally, there are four previous poles uh, um, that have been, uh, you know, been able to hypothesize based on the data. Whether there's more, who knows. Um, but it's like these, these, these myths and legends are kind of like the breadcrumbs. And it's my hope that, that there's enough science, that there's enough data, enough evidence still around that we might be able to fill in and use those breadcrumbs as sort of like leading the direction and then filling in with some actual scientific data. And then everyone will be happy. We'll have, you know, those of us that believe in these previous ages will be vindicated in our beliefs that, yeah, there's evidence to suggest there were previous civilizations. We may never know if they were more or less advanced. Um, they're probably certainly different, I would expect. Um, but, uh, you know, at least that would be, it would be uh, more than we have now. So I, I'm kind of looking for, like, kind of an incremental approach. If we can advance it a little bit, then, um, then that would be great. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I, you mentioned so many other things. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, the Anasazi and, and their, their um, what are they, they're called great... Uh, 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 I forget what the the term is for their great buildings. Uh, they're circular. They're, they're circles. There's, there's yeah. A, yeah. There's a there's a definite um, there there is um, rectangular structuring around them, and and it's interesting that um, a number of them uh, appear to reference the moon uh, to um, lunar what are called lunar standstills, which are kind of like extreme uh, motions of the moon, the, mo the most farthest north and south. It's that's Sort of like the sun, 
but on, in lunar cycles. Um, that said, there's other sites in Four Corners uh, area that don't seem to fit that. However, if you change the reference point, if you change the North, the North Pole and you put it in Hudson Bay, these sites seem to have uh, exist the same alignments, but relative to uh, to an earlier pole. Um, so, and, and it was it kind of blew my mind that we were able that I, I, I had kind of written the uh, the, the Amer or North America off, thinking that because of the ice age, there wasn't going to be anything. But you know, the ice cap only went down to like um, to like southern Ohio, something like that. So if you went for, for, you know, far enough south, you'd find things that presumably were not under the ice cap and like, like down in the southwest um, and another uh, in the south. And, and you actually do find burial mounds, uh, huge, actually huge mounds. Uh, some are aligned to the previous pole, some are not. Um, and there's the whole chapter in the book that talks about that. And I, that was a totally – I had – you know, it's like I, I applied the whole hypothesis to the United States thinking I wouldn't find anything, but I, all this stuff turns out, which or turned up, which was really kind of a surprise. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there are ruins, I mean, certainly that, that, um, that, that are questionable. Uh, I, I know that um, <clears throat> Monk's Mound, to me, um, I don't know what that's oriented towards, but I do know that there there are were structures there. But um, it it just feels to me as though the United States, you know, from from the top half down, um, from the middle down, uh, didn't yeah. have any ice on it. So you know, you have you have your mountain ranges there that that um, people used that that certainly could give some um, suggestion as to who it was or what it was, that who or what was there, was left. And it just, to me, I keep, I keep getting, um, I keep getting drawn to Antarctica to tell you the truth. They are, they are finding now that there are, um, the ice is melting and volcanoes beneath it are, are erupting and, they're seeing the, the leftovers of villages, and I know uh, Mary Joyce has found a number of, of what appear to be villages that, that with using um, using Google Earth that that, uh, that do indicate that the, that there was habitation there, and um, you know I can't wait for you know it all melt so we can see what's there. May have to come back a couple of lifetimes to see it, but. Um, you know, it should be fascinating. And, yeah, that, and you I know, you that's, said that's sort of the the that's the positive aspect of climate change is all this snow will be melting and we'll see what's underneath it. It's kind of like I want to take a hair dryer out and hurry it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but so I have a question. You know, we have the current, and then you know the the. Hudson Bay and, and the North Sea and, and stuff. So once it hits um, the farthest one, does it does it start going backwards or does it go back to the, you know, you only have it going one way and you only have those five. So 
what happens after the fifth one? So, um, so again, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my background's in electrical engineering, and I'm in aerospace, and, you know, I applied, I started uh, at this from sort of the archaeology, the aerial archaeology, the site alignments, and, you know, I was using Hapgood's theory, and, you know, I wasn't messing with it, I was trying to use it as is, and then Mark Gaffney came along, and, and he uh, had some um, uh, new data and uh, some new ideas, he was actually able to update the timing um, and the you know the polls uh, using using this data, um, but people would you know they kept asking me well like you know like you kind of alluded to just now you know what about what what came before and you yes earlier it will you know when's the next poll shift uh, you know because eventually you know ultimately there'll be another uh, you know. There'll always be another disaster looming up ahead, right? I mean, life has changed, yeah. And uh, so something will always be coming. And uh, so, you know, I was in talking about this, and you know, the whole idea in, in writing these books is to get some ideas out there and get people that know a lot more about the science engaged. And I was hoping someone would come along and a geologist and say, "Yeah, I think I know how." Uh, pole shifts, uh, how how it can ha- how it can work, uh, what can happen uh, to cause it, but no no one did, and so um, I like I said you know I, I'm I'm one of these people that well okay if no one else is going to do it I'll just figure it out myself and so I came up <laughs> with something I had some I had some ideas and I would call them more sort of notional in the sense that they were uh, you know. In, you know the term back of the envelope, sort of like rough calculations. You can sort of estimate things sort of generally, and it's sort of like the sanity check when you're you know doing coming up with some calculation. You just sort of say, yeah, the numbers are just generally correct, and it's generally you know, may not know exactly, but generally it's, it's it seems like it's correct. So I I came up with some ideas along the same lines, and. Um, I published a paper about a year ago in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, uh, which is a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, it's not a geology journal. It's not a climate journal, but it's, it's interdisciplinary. And, um, you know, went, paper went through a uh, peer-review process. And um, the paper was on a new theory of earth crustal displacement. And I actually come up um, with, 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 a, with sort of a more modern version of it. And what I mean by that is when Hapgood proposed this idea, people asked, okay, well, how, how, how does this happen? How does the, how did the pole shift? And his, his hypothesis was that it was the buildup of ice. So, you know, as ice builds up on the poles, it causes a, a, an imbalance, sort of like a spinning top if you put some weight, you know, away from, from the, you know, the, the middle part, the equator as it's spinning. It, you create an imbalance and it starts to, uh, you know, starts to move around. And, and um, if, if the outer parts were not rigid, his, his uh, speculation, his theory was that the whole crust would sort of slide to kind of maintain the whole, so the whole planet would stay in equilibrium. And, and as a result of that, you know, as the ice built up, the crust would then slip and so it would, you know, move the ice down to a lower latitude, it melt, and, you know, we have what 
uh, what's happened, it kind of explained the data, and then you get a new ice cap forming. Um, so that was his theory, but he, he, I don't know, made the mistake of asking Albert Einstein uh, to uh, write the foreword to his book. And Einstein basically said, you know, the, the mass of the ice isn't great enough uh, to cause this to happen. And so almost as soon as he had published the idea, it had to be sort of modified. And, um, and that was part of, you know, what Hapke was trying to do is come up with some other mechanisms to explain it. So, um, so I, I took a shot at it. And, and uh, the idea that I came up with is, you know, you, you hear about the, the geomagnetic poles um, moving yeah. around, right? The, you know, cross, uh, uh, magnetic compasses don't point the same direction because the magnetic pole is moving. And some believe that this is sort of prelude to the collapse of the magnetic field. So the magnetic field would either disappear or reverse. Well, I thought, well, okay, if the magnetic field reverses, and this, there's evidence that this happens. Um, in fact, it's happened uh, um, a few times over the last 100,000 years, maybe as many times as the poles have shifted, the geographic poles. But I'm talking magnetic poles now. Um, but the idea that I, I came up with, uh, the hypothesis, is that if the poles, the magnetic poles flip, then the field, that means that the field created by the core of the Earth, um, the molten interior, that field, that flips around. But the, the field of the crust, so the crust is magnetic too, you know, because there's iron in, in the crust. Uh, this mineral, and so it has a significant uh, field. That doesn't change immediately. Uh, hold on, I have to... <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, sure. I'm just going to... Barbara, I'm going to mute for a minute. I have a, I have a cold, and I just want to take... I want to get some, I get some cough drops. So sure, go can ahead. I, can we hold this thought for just a second? Oh yeah, I'll just chat. Um, you don't have to be here. I can ch- I ch- I chat all the time to myself. Um, <clears throat> yeah, go get your go get what you need. Um, you know this this theory is is one that that fits where I've been looking for. It just it seems it has seemed to me for years that there had to be more to humanity's growth, humanity's development. Um, I, I don't know if um, having our, our culture, our, our species almost wiped out and forced to grow again is what I would have planned for humanity, but apparently there may be a higher plan for it. Uh, this theory that he's talking about feels very, very stable to me in that, in that it goes right along with... Um, Philip Lindsay's talk of, of the ages or the yugas, that, that humanity's evolution um, consciousness goes through a series of changes and shifts, and it, it starts out like a golden age, and then it goes down to the point where there's mass destruction and we're right back to you know, where we began. I'm beginning to think 
that the element of consciousness figures into all of this. And of course, of course, you, you can't. It's difficult to bring spirituality into archaeology and the science factor because the two of them often will complement one another, but they don't really sync to the point where one group will defer to the other. So, so my theory is that that quite possibly we do bring all of this wisdom and knowledge and understanding into every lifetime in our DNA. And it's a matter of are we going to be able to unlock it and use it, or do we have to rediscover it over and over and over again? And the human species, as a physical avatar for the spirit, apparently needs to do that. The spirit, of course, knows it all and is is along for a ride. This is a spiritual journey through a, through a human lifetime as opposed to the other way around. So it just feels to me that that all of this material that he's 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 talking about has has happened before over and over and over again, and I I think that his research reminds us that there have been other ages before the one that we're in right now. And in those ages, we probably um, had flying machines, we probably had electricity, we probably had a lot of other things that, that we have had to struggle to redevelop and remember this, this particular time frame. But if we can get to the point where we can gather that information and utilize it and build upon it, instead of having to reinvent it time after time after time, um, that would make us a wiser culture for, for sure. And, and if we understood that that's what was happening, that we were sent back to square one to rediscover everything that we already know, then if we can take that knowledge forward into the next age as it, as it approaches and hits us, then we can start from where we were instead of having to go backwards again and redo everything that we've already done before. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to learn how to do a pyramid again, but but if I can take some of the wisdom, the philosophies and the wisdoms that came with those times, and build upon them for a new time, possibly a new age where, oh, I don't know, war wasn't the thing that everybody was focused on or developing weapons to 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 wrest power from other people if we we could take some of the understanding that we have now take it through the next mass, mass extinction and start then from scratch with the fact that we know what doesn't work let's try what does work i think we it would be a great benefit to humanity of course you can't convince the scientists scientists that there's got to be a logical explanation but i really believe that we do carry with us all of the answers in our dna it's just a matter of rediscovering them and unfortunately everybody's looking outside themselves instead of inside themselves for all the answers that are clearly there for us it's just a thought hey, Bar um barbara I'm, I'm back and i actually i think i'd rather listen to you <laughs> <laughs> Keep, keep, keep going. <laughs> well, it makes sense. And, you know, that's what I was going to say to you um, earlier. 
I think we do have that information. I think it's in our DNA. And we are so into looking for answers outside of ourselves. We, we're not looking inside of ourselves. And DNA, they, they only understand about, what, 5%, 7% of it. They don't understand what the rest of it is. Did you know that cats have more DNA than humans do? Is that right? No, I didn't know that. But they do. Um, so I wonder what they know. Um, but, but, you know, well, it's, I, it's I, just... I, I, they, well, they, we, 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 we truly, uh, they truly are uh, our masters. I mean, uh, you know, no one tells a cat what to do, so I guess that probably is, a, that, that explains it, really. <laughs> they, they have more DNA. <laughs> well, yeah, my theory is um, that each time there's a mass destruction and we start over from scratch, we don't have government, we don't have religion, we don't have a lot of things. And we are left to our own whatevers to create a, a form of life that is of benefit to everyone. And it, 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 I, I really think that, that every time there's a mass destruction, it's, it's like an etch-a-sketch. You know, you, you make all of your pretty pictures and you turn it upside down and shake it and start from scratch again. And that's what humanity has been doing for millions of years. I think it's about time we broke the cycle and, and found a way to take the knowledge and wisdom we have now and carry it through the, the next mass ex extinction. I mean, we're sending rocket ships out into space, for heaven's sakes, looking for other human, uh, humanoids out there or other planets where we could live. And, and there's nothing wrong with the one we've got except we're, we're abusing it terribly, but it will, it will survive us for sure. But they did a study not long ago, and they, they discovered that human DNA after so many thousands of years does mutate, and they took it all the way back to when it was at its purest form. It turns out human DNA is older than the Earth. Hmm. So I wonder where we came from. You know, so, you know, this is, uh, I think this is, you know, part of Elon Musk's um, vision for humanity that by getting, getting a, uh, you know, we're kind of taking a left turn here, but, you know, taking, um, you know, his, his, he's, he's close to, uh, to being able to fly this new, uh, super heavy booster called Starship um, that'll be able to take, you know, scores of people to the moon and Mars. I don't know the exact number, but his goal is to get a thousand, his goal is to get, I think, a million tons of material to Mars because in doing so, he believes that's sort of the, the point where you can, there's enough stuff that you can develop a self-sustaining um, presence there, a civilization, if you will, on Mars. And the reason I bring it up is that's, that's a way of hedging our bets, right? If there is a cataclysm on Earth, then um, by being interplanetary, you don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, uh, and maybe there's a chance we'll, we'll survive. Um, and uh, well. you know, one, one, yeah, anyway. 
uh, you know, on that same um, on that same sort of channel. Um, are you familiar with the Rendlesham Forest uh, sighting of a UFO? Yeah. The uh, vehicle or whatever um, was was apparently this. It was a drone of some sort, and one of the men who touched it was downloaded with um, a whole bunch of binary code. And twenty years later, or whatever, it was it was um, it was interpreted. It was read, and among other things, it, it listed a lot of the ancient sites around the planet. But also, the message was something like, um, it's, it's, it's a good idea that we continue to study humanity, you know, for the project to keep going, uh, eyes of your eyes, and date of origin was 81,000 years. In other words, it was a time-traveling drone, hmm. which would suggest that somebody... You know, you know. I, at first, I thought, "Isn't it great we're here in 80, at eighty-one thousand years, you know, in the future?" But it didn't necessarily say that. It said the human culture or species—I forget which—which which would indicate that they're not human; that they're observing us. <laughs> so, but but that that in in some way there there is um, there is someone watching. Or someone trying to connect, or I, I I get the feeling personally myself that that spiritually speaking that there is a consciousness trying to communicate with us, and that that most of us are too hard headed to even listen. So you know it may not be this round this this pole shift. Humanity may have to go through another yet another pole shift in order to take the correct turn at some point in time and put their energies towards developing a society where there was no war, there was no hate, there was no uh, need for for weapons of mass destruction. Um, would be nice. I don't know that that's going to happen. But, but I do know that, that we are seeing more and more evidence of literally cultures that 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 no longer exist they're either you know at the bottom of the sea someplace they're discovering a lot of them off the shores of uh, Italy and and wherever there's a whole bunch of them being discovered off uh, the coast of Nan Madal um and right. there's the arctic right. stuff that i mean they're 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 we're coming up with more and more evidence that not only are we not alone but but you know, there have been cultures on this planet long before us, and you know, even yeah, though they, we've seen, they, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, what you're, you know, you're, 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 you're listing these. Uh, these are, you know, all thought to be uh, ice age era civilizations, uh, non Madal and and uh, you know. Um, uh, ruins that are underwater that 20,000 years ago were above water places like off the coast of Japan or um, yeah. the uh, west coast of India. Um, and they keep discovering more and more of these. Uh, you know, the whole east coast of the United States was 
was much uh, went much farther out during the last ice age when you know water levels were at twenty thousand years ago when water levels were you know one hundred and forty meters, which is like a football field and a half uh, you know lower much of the continental shelf was revealed. So, you know, one, there's this probably all sorts of discoveries and maybe a lot of it's under mud, you know, but, you know, we've got some pretty amazing sensing technologies that can penetrate. So I think, you know, that there's a lot of opportunities to find things. Um, and I think if, if we can, if we can sort of be open to all these different threads of evidence, um, uh, you know, and, um, you know, the pole shift and the alignments is just one, but, you know, it's, it's not the smoking, so-called smoking gun. I mean, that's finding, you know, uh, stone ruins, you know, um, 200, you know, 200 feet below sea level would be, you know, pretty strong evidence of something, you know, having existed 20,000 years ago. Um, and if we can find that, then, uh, and it could be, you know, uh, validated, then, that would be that would be a huge discovery, and then that opens the door to all these things you know that you're talking about, Barbara, because that that says it's okay. This is the current chapter, so we don't know about we don't know for sure whether there's a previous chapter, but if you start if you start getting evidence like this, it's like yeah, there, there was a previous chapter too, and it's well, if there was a previous, maybe there's one even before that, and that's kind of the you know that's sort of the the pattern that then says, okay, well, then it's been a series of ages, and that, that begins to tie in with spiritual and, and um, mythological themes, and you realize, you know, maybe this is all, these are all different ways of saying the same thing. Um, so, you know, this, this is sort of the direction I'm hoping science goes. It becomes kind of a synthesis of, of, of analytical methods and and methods that are, you know, maybe more alternative. But, um, you know, I mean, I, as an extreme example, you know, meditation, you're talking about looking for answers inside. Well, meditation is a way of doing that. Um, why not ex explore that as, as, as a realm uh, for knowledge as well? Rather than just going into space and outer space, you know, take it inside um, because, you know, a lot of spiritual tra traditions talk about inner experiences, and so, um, you know, um, you know, obviously that the, the keys are going to be found there. Um, you know, with what we see with our eyes are just a reflection. Um, oh yeah. But you know, so it's all, it's well, all it, it, it all ties together. Well, the scientific community is known for. Um, not wanting to budge once they've made a decision. And, and um, gosh, I can't remember who wrote the book. Mark would be able to tell me. Cremo, I think. Um, it's a 600-page book, and the first 500 pages he talks about wood chips and arrowheads and stuff and how when, they're, when they've been dated for older than they thought, they didn't want, nobody wanted to say, well, this is older. It, it was, they kind of hid stuff before, before they, you know, disturbed some sort of amazing chronological order they had made up, which was now off. Yeah. And we're seeing, we're yeah. seeing that not only with archaeology, but we're seeing it with um, history. We're seeing it with, in lots of places where, where frankly it doesn't belong. 
and you know to to be open to needful of changing you know of changing the flow of energy um why not go with it why not follow through with it i i mean they've used lidar on the yucatan peninsula and they have discovered um just in, uh, cities that are unbelievable that are hidden in the jungle there um that 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 go on for acres and acres and miles and miles so there there was a culture of some sort there that supported huge numbers of people and we don't even know who millions. they were or where they went yeah millions of people and it's and it's hard to imagine that in a tropical climate um but if 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 and i'm just going to tie this back to uh beyond atlantis if the north pole were in hudson bay climate zones shift North America is in the polar zone, but Mexico, Mesoamerica, is not in these is not subtropical. It's now in the temperate zone, and it's a it's a whole other it's a, it's a completely different ball game. And so, you know, it it could have been a much plausibly a much more favorable environment for a large civilization to have developed and thrived. Uh, you know, I don't think it was thousands of years ago. I think it was tens of thousands of years ago that we're talking about. Um, oh yeah. You know, and, you, and you what, talking, what about the? What, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I. You know, you. I. 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 I think the problem with science is, um, and you're. You know, sort of. You're touching on it. Is that science? Science is reductionism in the sense that it has to. Re, it has to. Or I should say, Western science, as, as it's currently practiced, tries to reduce everything to physical principles. So. Um, to basically to matter, um, and you know we all know that that matter, um, physical physical systems, something that's purely physical, like a clock or a computer, eventually runs down and it breaks. It, you know parts don't assemble themselves into computers or um, cells into into um, you know advanced life forms or even amino acids into cells. There's something be, behind that. There's the consciousness, the spirit, but that's out, but science doesn't acknowledge that, and so it tries to explain everything in physical terms, and that's the problem because it's it's only it's only using half the deck, and um, and so you know, as long as they continue to do that, it they'll, they'll they a they won't be able to explain. You know the, the sort of the key questions, the the most fundamental questions will never be answered. And if they do attempt to answer them, the answers will be just so um, so I don't know shoehorned or just so so wrong. Um, it's like you know they they say if you have enough monkeys uh, typing on typewriters, they'll eventually come up with Shakespeare. That's true, yeah. <laughs> but the amount of time is 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 effectively the age of the universe, so it'll never, it'll never happen. So, you know, I mean, so there, there's, I, I guess the point is that there's real fundamental problems with continuing to approach things in the same way. And so you need a bigger, you need a bigger, uh, uh, you have to cast a, a, a bigger net. And, you know, stuff that you're talking about, it to- totally resonates with me. Um, wh- what I try to do, though, Barbara, is, 
rather than go off on that stuff, I, I, it's, I'm interested in it. I, I think it's a big part of the answer, but what, what I'm, but I try to do is sort of carve out little pieces that I think physical science can answer and provide some insight in, in, in terms of a bigger picture, a bigger context. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to do in, in, in these books and other things that I've been writing. Um, well, talk about, talk about the Gobi Desert because um, the Gobi Desert at one time was not a Gobi Desert. And, and yeah. they are finding, they are finding um, structures there that um, have been buried in the sand for tens of thousands of years. Yeah, I mean, um, so exactly, and you go, and, and if you can visualize, um, you go Gobi Deserts in China, and you go if you if you move west, you go into um, into uh, Central Asia to the to the stands, uh, Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan and all those places. That's a vast desert area now, and then if you continue to go uh, south. Southwest, you go into Arabia to the Rub al Khalib, which is um, the so-called empty quarter, which is uh, you know that's uh, Lawrence of Arabia territory. And then if you continue to move west, you end up you know in in, in Africa and uh, ultimately North Africa and the Sahara Desert. So you got you got th- these chains of deserts, and so you wouldn't expect to find any any ruins in any of these places, but you do. And, uh, and I'll, uh, what direction do you think they're aligned to? Do you think they're aligned to the current poll or do you think they're aligned to a previous poll? Oh, they got to be aligned to a previous poll. Well, the answer is actually a little of both. And the way they, they align them, uh, in all of these, well, in, in, in Arabia, uh, for example, the moon uh, is is an important deity um, for a number for a number of reasons, uh, and the so you find that modern sites sites that were built, I believe, since the pole shift, are aligned to lunar standstills, and you find sites other sites uh, as well that are not aligned to lunar standstills relative to the current pole, but relative to the Hudson Bay pole. And at that time, uh, when the North Pole, uh, the North Pole were in Hudson Bay, these desert regions would have been much more temperate, totally different climate. So Gobi Desert is, you, you, we could start with that, but it's, again, not the only desert area where this is true. Um, and, you know, again, this, this pattern of finding things you wouldn't expect. So you look in the least likely place, for, for ruins and you find them and they're aligned in ways that are consistent with climate change data that suggested that these places were once, once much more temperate and ha- habitable, you know, more rainfall, um, evidence of fields of, you know, agricultural fields that are now, you know, barren and, you know, rock walls in the middle of nowhere where, you know, you would build around uh, plots of land, but, now it's all desert. So why would anyone possibly do that? Well, because it wasn't always desert. It was, it was um, temperate, and you know, people lived here. And then the poles, I, you know, the hypothesis is the poles shifted, 
It wasn't that there was a climate. It wasn't like the, the earth got warmer or colder as a whole. I mean, there, it, there is some variation, but it's, it's where you put the poles. I think that's, that's the key thing. And when you move the poles around, all sorts of interesting things happen. And they're interesting, and they also seem to explain a lot. And, um, and the deserts are, I think, one of the best examples. <clears throat> well, yet not only that, but um, every every year I kind of do an overview of what what I see is going to happen for the next year. And lately, I have been feeling and and reporting that that because of the shifts the shifts in our in our climate um, that that even the farmers are having trouble figuring out when to plant and when to harvest. And, you know, it's, it's throwing off a lot of, not, not only that, but it's, it's throwing off a lot of the cycles for, for, for those animals that are cyclical and, and we're a part of that. And, and so right. I, I think that, that our energy the electromagnetic energy that is causing a shift in 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 the planetary whatever is also affecting us um, energetically, and so many of us are going through shifts and changes as far as um, physical stuff. And and the the good part, the fun part, is that consciousness is is shifting and changing too. So people are more open to a lot of areas where where they have not been open to before. I mean, let's face it, Mark, there was a point in time when you would have been thrown into prison or killed for for your philosophies. And, you know, you can print them and, and the books sell and you can talk to, to people about them now. But, you know, going back, what, 100 years, you would have been considered very strange. Right, right. And And let's hope we don't revert to that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, well, I no, would have been burning the stake, so you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, right, right, right. But, but, but the thing that I'm seeing, um, I, I have always sort of lived in farmland, and what I'm seeing is farmers having a great deal of difficulty determining when it's safe to plant, when it's good to harvest, when. When are the seasons really going to change? So the seasons are changing. And, and you know, the weather people are saying, well, this is an anomaly. No, it's not. It's the way it's going to be for hundreds of years, possibly more. Yeah. I don't think people I, you know, it's that. like, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I have this conversation a lot. It's like you know, some people think that there, there's some that there are nefarious forces behind, you know, all these you know, there's these cover-ups and controversies and all that. And I, I yeah. think I, I don't know. I don't I don't really see it that way. I, I think I think government um, look the people in charge have to act as if they know the answers, because if they don't, then people become afraid and. They lose confidence. So governments have to have the answers. So, you know, look at the UAP phenomenon. They don't, they don't know what's going on. And, you know, yet people are, you know, looking for the government to tell them what, you know, what's, what this is all about. So this, is, this has been an, on, an ongoing problem. 
I don't think there's any kind of cover-up. I don't think they're hiding anything. I think they just don't, you know, they don't know. And, you know, I think, I think to some extent maybe um, climate change, if, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm sort of not, I'm really not on firm ground on this, but, you know, I think you, you could argue that if uh, the worst-case scenario were, uh, were sort of viewed as being, okay, let's, let's go with that, let's assume the worst-case scenario, then there'll be, there'd be so much fear in terms of disruptions to, you know, food chain, supply chain, and all that, people would panic. So it could be that, you know, climate scientists, the government scientists are just saying, and, and sort of it's become sort of institutionalized. It's like, yeah, it's just an anomaly. Don't worry about it because well, see, that's, there's really nothing see, they can do about it. You know what I mean? That's, that's not where that I – yeah. Yeah, th- th- this is where I, I don't. I think that what we're seeing is a pattern that has been repeated over and over and over again for millions of years, and we're calling it climate change. Well, it is changing, but it's part of a pattern. It's not an anomaly. Yeah. It's, it's just a pattern that we we don't have the distance from it to see that it is a change that that can that that does repeat you know, thousands of years after thousands of years. It's not an anomaly. This is exactly the way it's, weather has gone for millions of years. And we want to blame somebody, like cows, um, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's... But I think the one, the biggest problem I have with science is that they're not afraid to say... I mean, they are afraid to say, I was wrong. And, yeah, and well, you know, yeah. and, and well, that, that, I mean, that, that's human nature. That's human nature, right? Yeah. I unfortunately, but you know, with with, I think what fascinated me. I mean, I, I love the pole shift stuff. That that makes great sense to me. But what what also fascinated me was when you went into the different structures and you could see where the different levels of competency or not competency with the the different um, foundations that were being laid and it sort of it reminded me of um, you know they they said that biblically Troy did not exist that was until Schliemann found it and you know I think that that we we have such an amazing amount of history here to study that it is not even being looked at the different the different levels of construction of a lot of these um, old monuments that that um, it's right out there. It's 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 you know for those with eyes to see, um, it's there. It's it's obviously this was another dimension of society that was was adding on to something that was already there, and um, yeah, that that's where the that's but, where the real you know the real investigation should be going i i, I agree and there, there are people that that agree with you um uh and you know it's a growing number unfortunately it's not the academics and what'll what has to change is that when other organizations and maybe they're you know all these 
VC firms and all these entrepreneurs that have made, you know, millions and billions of dollars, you know, people like the Bill Gates, who at some point decide to give it back. If like-minded individuals decide to, um, to fund as opposed to the government and private, you know, the people that, that currently fund archaeology and history and liberal arts are, you know, very, very um, intellectually conservative. Um, but imagine, you know, you got Silicon Valley, uh, uh, you know, that, that crew who they're, you know, they're into disruptive technology, disruptive tech and, and, you know, crazy ideas. Imagine having, you know, that kind of money available to fund archaeology because um, archaeologists won't, you know, um, they, they want to get paid, right? We want to get paid. We want to be able to, to, to go to the grocery store. So it's like if yeah. funding is coming from somewhere else and that funding is open to the idea of funding some, you know, it's like forget the old playbook. Uh, you're, you know, it's time to go rogue and come up with some new stuff. Um, could be very, very interesting. Uh, maybe it's a pipe dream. I don't know, but maybe not. Well, I, I think with every generation, there are people like you that, that you know, put stuff out there. And uh, look at Socrates. We still talk about him and Plato. I mean, after how many, how many hundreds of thousands of years, you know? I mean, it, there, there are, you know, there are hints that have been left around for us to find. I mean, they, people call them out-of-place objects. And, right. and, I mean, there have been calculators that have been found. Um, th- yeah, that, well, I, I mean, the, the Antikythera ahead. mechanism, yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's uh, one of the early chapters in the book, where, which is on Greece. And, um, again, uh, looking at ancient Greece in this new way in terms of prehistory, and you have these, these anomalies. You have the Antikythera mechanism, which is it's, it's a calculator. It's a mechanical calculator. Um, and the scientists that study it, Barbara, this, this, when I was researching this, I, I, I knew about it, but I didn't know that what they had come up with was that the complexity of this thing far exceeds the capabilities of the, um, of the craftsmen who built it. In other words, the, the, the concept behind it was, was far more advanced than the actual mechanism. The mechanism didn't really work that well. So it's like, well, what is, how could that be? Well, it could be if the uh, concept, the underlying principles were co-opted, were inherited from an earlier civilization, and the Greeks or whoever made the Antikythera mechanism were just basically copying. They're trying, they were, you know, they're they're following a plan, set of instructions. It wasn't their it wasn't their tech. They didn't make it up. They were trying to do the best they could in building this thing with the technology they had at hand, which wasn't very good. The underlying principles were much older. There are, there are sites in Greece that appear to be aligned with accuracies that far exceeded the maps at the time. So again, it's it's sort of this idea that there was this knowledge that came that was pre-existing that historical civilizations like the Greeks and others, Babylonians, 
um, you know, co-opted. They, 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 they claimed it as their own. Um, and this is usually, this is what the, you know, this, the, to the victor goes the spoils, right? Um, you forget, you know, you erase, you erase the history that came before. It's human nature. Like, uh, the victors want to be the ones that are, that are that are known for whatever it is that they they conquered or came up with the Romans. Um, but intellectually, the Greeks, you know, the Greeks got a lot co-opted a lot of knowledge from the Egyptians. Uh, a lot of uh, Greek philosophers, you know, worked at the Library of Alexandria, um, and they had access to information that, you know, has since been lost. So, you know, it's it's a very it's a very interesting story that I think, you know, they say whoever controls history controls the game. And um, as soon as uh, someone else starts controlling history or letting the, maybe the rules be a little bit more relaxed and maybe open more to facts than necessarily to opinions or philosophies or, I don't know what you want to call it, worldviews, then maybe things will start mm-hmm. to change. I do. Before well, we finish, I, I do want to. I, before we finish, I we, I know this time to talk about other stuff, but I I want to blow your mind, and I just want to finish telling you about the um, the, the the theory of crustal displacement for how it works. Um, oh sure. At some point, but I, I I just want to stick that thought, and I don't mean to derail the conversation. I just want to allow a little bit of time to just sort of wrap wrap that up a little bit with a bow because it's. Uh, it ties a lot of interesting things together, uh, un- unexpected things. But anyway. Well, well, it, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for that because in my in my theory, as to and it's a theory, and and I I I I want to make sure everybody knows it, and it could change tomorrow because I'm always thinking. But my my philosophy is that at some point in time. The crust is going to move back together, so we have another landmass like Pangaea surrounded by a very big ocean. Now, that's where I see the one-world government and everything coming in, but um, that's, that's, that's just my view. So, so tell me about crustal stuff. Okay, so, 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 the, so, um, so, okay, so, so the, uh, in the early 1900s, uh, Alfred Wagner proposed the idea of continental drift that, you know, eventually this one supercontinent, Pangaea, uh, by you know, over time sort of began to move apart and, and, and split into smaller continents. And, you know, it's why, you know, the east coast of uh, South America fits into the west coast of Africa, right, for example. Yeah. Because they were once together. Okay, so he, this is the idea that, that he sort of came up with. And after many years, um, it was eventually proven using um, basically it's called paleomagnetic data, which is sort of rock magnetism. They're able to trace how rocks move over long periods of time and uh, determine that um, this theory, which now is known as plate tectonics, became sort of confirmed or verified. So, so the idea that you know the Earth is covered with these plates that move a little bit, but um, it's not widely thought. In fact, it's kind of dismissed this idea that the whole crust, this whole collection of plates can move as a whole. In other words, they, the individual plates move around. Um, they come up and they subduct, and, you know, yeah, that's, that's where you have faults and so forth. And, 
uh, volcanoes and, you know, all sorts of other plate uh, types of phenomenon. But the whole crust doesn't, isn't really thought to move, at least not move very quickly. Uh, and this was, this was uh, Hapka's idea. So, so the idea, the, the proposal that, that I have, and it's, um, I mentioned this paper, and if you go to beforeatlantis.com, this is my website and blog, the, uh, this, you can get links to a lot of this data, a lot of this information on the, on the blog, on the website, and uh, there's also a description of, of this paper, well, a link to the paper and also sort of a summary of the paper with some charts and graphs showing um, kind of how it works. The, the uh, hypothesis is that with the magnetic poles uh, going through what's called a an excursion or it's sort of a short-term reversal where the north and south poles sort of reverse. When that happens, the crust, um, the magnetism of the crust is opposite to the magnetism of the core. And so the crust, uh, which is normally, it, can, it moves over the mantle, which is what's below the, the, the crust. So it's down, you know, a couple hundred miles, the mantle, and it's semi-molten. So the crust can move over it, but not very, not very well. Um, but the hypothesis is that when a magnetic reversal occurs or excursion and the field, magnetic field reverses, then it's, in some sense the crust can kind of sort of like float over the mantle magnetically, sort of like, you know, you put two north poles together and they repel. So in other words, when, when a crust, when a, uh, when a magnetic uh, excursion occurs or reversal occurs, the crust, during those periods of time, the crust is, uh, becomes what I call unlocked, and it can move subject to external forces. So what force can move the crust? The um, proposal I make is that it's the moon. Um, same way the moon moves the Earth's oceans, and we know that that works quite well. I mean, uh, the, moon, the moon can move an, or moves an incredible amount of water. Um, now, the crust is much more massive, of several orders of magnitude more massive than, than the oceans. Um, but given enough time, it's torquing it a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, that if the crust were to become unlocked, the hypothesis, it's not a theory, it's sort of an idea, a hypothesis is that it would start to move the crust slowly. And because where the moon orbits, um, it's not just doesn't go around the Earth in a sort of one path, but it because of the tilt of of um, of, of of the Earth and you know the orbit of the Moon, it, it actually moves within the zone. It's called the zone of the tropics between the tropics of Capricorn and tropics of, of Cancer. And as it moves within these regions over a period of time, it it's pulling the crust, and as the crust pulls. Uh, and, and as the crust is pulled on and rotates, then the, effectively by the crust displacing, the location of the North Pole changes. And so I believe it's the, the moon pulling on the crust over these periods of time that cause the poles, the, location, the locations of the poles to, to change, to shift. So I think it's probably a fairly, you know, long-term, doesn't happen overnight, happens over years, tens, hundreds, maybe, maybe a thousand years. Um, but over this period of time, as the poles change, the climate zones change. And then when the, 
a magnetic field reverses itself again, which it does. It goes back and forth. It locks the crust back in, and it stops. And so we're during one of those periods now when the crust is locked to the mantle. But the poles, if the uh, magnetic poles flipped, it could, um, you know, hypothesis is that it could trigger a uh, beginnings of a, of a crustal displacement. So that's that's a, that's a basic idea, and then the tie-ins to like what are what are called supervolcanic events and other things that are more cataclysmic in nature that are talked about in this article and on the website. I won't get into it now, but um, so it's it's all potentially connected, and and that's so many sites on Earth, on, uh, in the world, um, seem to reference the moon. Uh, I found super counterintuitive because it's it's easy it's relatively easy to mark solstices all you have to do is you look at the path of the sun over the course of the year the moon uh-huh. you have to do it over a period of about 20 or 19.5 years it's very it's much more complicated and yet there are um now is it the same number i have to open the book to see what the difference uh let's see there are um, so I look at uh, in uh, in the last chapter of the book. I look at the number of alignments to the different poles, and I look at the types of alignments, whether they're you know uh, solstices, lunar standstills, or equinox, um, north, south, east, west alignments. And uh, of sites analyzed, 376 are north, south, east, west. 183 are solstice, and 202 are to the moon. So there's more sites aligned to the moon, to lunar stances, than to solstices, which is totally counterintuitive because it's easier to align things to the sun than to the moon. Why would so many sites be aligned to the moon? Maybe because, and this is where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm totally off the rails now. Maybe it's not this, this idea that, the moon is responsible for these. Um, it's it, it's the uh, the 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 uh, agent of change. Uh, that something causes the magnetic reversal. It might be the sun. It could be solar activity uh, causes the uh, the magnetic poles to shift or to flip. And then when that happens, the moon does its thing. And um, and this. This, this, is the, uh, what, this is what establishes the rhythm of climate and perhaps, uh, you know, uh, changes uh, uh, world ages on Earth uh, for the last 100, 200,000 years and uh, why so many temples are aligned to the moon and why the moon is so mysterious because it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's an important, um, it's, it's an important and, uh, and, uh, and, un- and overlooked uh, force or entity in the world, uh, and it's uh, anyway. So the, the final chapter ties a lot of these ideas together. Again, whether um, you know, I, I didn't come in with any predisposed theory or predisposed ideas. It was like looking at the data, and you put all the data together. Okay, how can you correlate it? What what actually? How does how does how does it? How can you sort of integrated into a, a coherent theory uh, or a set of hypotheses. And this is what you come up with. And it's totally 
totally at odds with uh, anything else out there? Does it make it wrong because of that? I don't think so. It's just uh, it's just another direction I think would be worth uh, exploring. Well, a lot of the primitive cultures um, worship the moon before they worship the sun. Right. So why why is that? You wonder. I, yeah. I mean, when you stop to think about it, the sun is bigger and brighter and and warmer, but but it was the moon. It was the moon energy that they were looking for for their spiritual stuff and for their their healings and and stuff like that. It had to do with um, the pathway. Uh, you know the 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 soul, the soul, <clears throat> the Milky Way was the path of souls that took you to the moon, not the sun. Um, yeah, and, and, I, I don't and, know. and in terms of in, in terms of the theory, and it's the moon that is is moving is moving the crust and in, 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 uh, shifting the poles. If if this if this well, hypothesis is correct. Yeah, and it's a good one. I mean, there was a time, if you go way, 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 way back, that we had two suns. Jupiter, I believe, was was visible in our sky as well and was considered a second sun. Now we're going back thousands and thousands of years. Um, so, you know, you know we've, we've been through uh, humanity as a whole. Our species has been through an amazing journey of, of discovery and loss and discovery and loss and discovery and loss. And I'm wondering if each phase, each yuga, um, had a different focus on it as far as, you know, where we, where we grew and wh- what we did with our, with our culture and our societies. Um, it's, it's a little frightening right. what's happening today, but, but, you know, there may, hopefully, there may have been times of, of tremendous peace and and expansion on a creative level, which would have which would have meant that our inner talents and skills <clears throat> and magic and gifts um, have now been sort of put in the closet, and it's for us to unlock the closet and bring the intuition and the insight and that aspect of life back into a part of society that accepts it. Right, because we're kind of in the Kali Yuga now, right? Coming, we're we're moving out of the Kali Yuga into the yeah. Uh, forget, I forget the the next one in the cycle. But it's it's true because if you look at the acceptance today of of intuition and hunches and coincidences and and you know even communicating with spirits that have gone beyond. Um, there is more acceptance to that than ever before. And, you know, I'm not right. saying that, that, you know, we're going to go all woo-woo on you, on, but, but, but the, the element is if, if society can accept that, it can certainly accept a scientific philosophy that has no grounding for it exactly, but, but the potential is certainly there. Yeah, no, it's definitely moving in the right direction. Definitely. I mean, you've got books published about it. I would say so. I mean, the government isn't shutting you down, but but you know, with with Elon Musk and his trying to get off planet, 
you know, might be a good place for him. Um, maybe if, if they leave behind the better part of the population, we can make the world a better place. I certainly have not been given a ticket. So, you know, I'm not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> but but if yeah. you stop and you think, know, I... it's, it's the rich that are going to get to go to these places and they're going to leave those of us who are more developed in, in what the meaning of a real society is will be left behind. I think it's a good thing. It's kind of like getting rid of the people that want to control you and and send them off, go, you know, and, and leave us with a planet that hopefully we can pull back into shape and, and, and you know, have a better society because of it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I, I just don't have, a, you know, I, I know a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of people that are into the alternative um, ideas, you know, sort of see, see that there's an evolution and that, you know, the, the earth plane, if you will, will, will get better and better. I, I think, I, I don't know. I think the earth plane is, is sort of, it is what it is. I, I think the evolution takes place not in a physical sense, but sort of at the level of the soul. I think it's the soul. You know, I mean, we come here to learn what we need to learn to to uh, to acquire and to burn off karmas, and and uh, if we're lucky to to, to you know uh, to. To, to know how to not, you know, how to not have to come back and how to move on, and and so it's an evolution um, in a spiritual sense. And I don't know, I, 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 I to the, I mean, you certainly want the physical plane to be um, um, uh, benign enough that this can happen. If it was a totalitarian, totalitarian state or something like that, it would be really difficult. But, um, you know, to, to expect perfection, I don't know. Um, I think what we have is pretty good. I mean, we're pretty, we're, we're pretty damn lucky. And uh, I feel so bad for you know, so many, you know, like Syria and Turkey, these places uh, that are having such hardship now in, in Ukraine. Uh, you feel terrible. Uh, we actually have it. It's not perfect, but it's, it's pretty good. And uh, if we can just, if, if we can help these people get to the same point, Given the same opportunities, I think that's all we can really ask for. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be perfection. And, and and you're right about Mars. I think it'll be. Uh, hopefully, they will. The, the the ruling they won't go to. The ruling class won't all go to Mars and attempt to 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 rule us from Mars. I mean that <laughs> that's that's probably a, a, a sci-fi novel there. That's, a, yeah, that's not mean, a bad it, idea. Maybe I'll maybe I'll write that next. Hmm. But when you stop to think about it. If the elite all go off planet thinking that they are going to go to a utopia and end up that it's not a utopia and those of us left behind won't let them come back. Yeah, but they're going to, they're they're going to, they may, they may leave behind not just, you know, us of like mind, but of others that could cause a lot of problems too. Right. I mean, um, undoubtedly, but but the reality like, is, you know, I think, I, I think that this, they made this movie. They're already what? It's a movie that they've 
it's a movie where they're, um, yeah, the ruling class is like in, uh, oh, I forget the name of it. They're in orbit around the Earth. And, um, oh, it just came out, uh, you know, like 10 years, within the last 10 years. I can't think of the name of it. Um, but they, they've made this. Um, in, are you it, talking I mean, about inter- Interstellar? Not Interstellar. No, that's that's what I wanted to say. It's not it. Um, Avalon? No, not Avalon. Um, I'll, I'll I'll think of it after we're done. Probably. I can't think on the spot. <laughs> anyway. Well, I I so am I yeah. am all for them. I'm all for the elite going to Mars. It's fine with me. <laughs> but but so I you'll, do you'll, I do see our. You're happy yeah, to put I'm, I'm not going. To yeah, yeah, I, I'm fine with them going to Mars and and uh, you know building a society there that doesn't have um, all levels of of intellect and everything. It's just everybody who thinks that they are better than everybody else. I I think it would be hysterical to watch, um, and then, and probably then, yeah. But then they might actually discover something that will change them in a fundamental way, such as the discovery of, of, of uh, ancient, an ancient civilization on Mars that was much more spiritually developed. Well, that would be nice. I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of uh, Ray, Ray Bradbury's The Martian Chronicles. Um, oh, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Well, um, I don't know. I just... You know, putting all of those people on a spaceship and waving goodbye, it just seems like such a good idea. Um, it feels good. Well, and not only that, but, you know, I don't think they have the intellect to be able to find and determine ancient cultures. I think they expect people to do it for them. And since they're all left behind, um, they'll have a, a long learning curve for sure. So should be interesting. But well, but we are out. You know, it, we're out. Yeah. This yeah, is I know we're out of time. This is Yeah. This is this is yet another book for you at some point. Um so let's give them your 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 um website and and your blog addresses so they know where to find you. Yeah, it's, it's beforeatlantis.com and it's a website and blog and uh, just about, I think everything we talked about tonight is there. Uh, there's a number of articles, quite a few articles. There's uh, links to the books um, and other other websites, and it's a good place to start. And uh, if they Fantastic. have any questions, they can contact me. Okay. And what's the next book? Uh, well, I'm updating a book I wrote called Not of This World, and I don't think we talked about this. It's about the UFO and UAP phenomenon. Maybe we'll talk, we should talk about this in a couple of months. So I'm updating okay, this book, sounds- and I'm working on the third book uh, on the whole pole shift thing and how that works and when the next one might be. Fantastic. Maybe in the next year or so. Well, thank you so much. So. This has been such fun. And, yes, we will Thanks, absolutely Barbara. have to do it again. <laughs> Take care now. You too. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye.